0: Well good morning everybody. It's uh, my pleasure to be here to bring God's Word to you this morning and tell you a little bit about our church plant in Suffield, Connecticut. If you'd pray with me uh, before we read God's Word. Heavenly Father we thank you for this day each and every day. Winter, summer, springtime, or harvest. You are the giver of all good gifts. You own a the cattle on a thousand hills. You provide for all our needs. Give us the faith to trust in You. Give us the faith to hear Your Word, to be transformed by it. Not just in our mind, but in our hearts, in our hands as well as we go out with newness of life from Your Son to live according to Your Word. We pray in Your name. Amen. Well, this morning I'm uh, preaching from Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through the beginning of verse 8. I hear the Word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that in that I rejoice. Philippians is one of Paul's letters, uh, one of the ones he wrote to the churches that he planted, he started. Uh, Paul is under house arrest here. The only way that he could communicate to the church in Philippi was to write a letter. He couldn't go in person, and he wanted to send encouragement to the Philippians in their faith. And their life and how they lived out the good news of the gospel. How they worked together in unity and peace as a church. And the chief theme of Philippians is encouragement and joy. He wants to encourage them to live out their lives as citizens of a heavenly colony. Be citizens of heaven. As evidenced by their growing commitment to service to God and to one another. What's interesting in the beginning of this letter is that Paul usually goes about beginning his letters by introducing himself as an apostle. As one with authority given to him by Jesus Christ himself. But Paul actually starts out this letter by saying this. Paul and Timothy, not apostles, but servants of Christ Jesus. Paul begins this letter by laying out a foundation for the identity of not only himself but all believers and especially the believers in this church, in Philippi. He does so in three ways. He says that you are servants of the Lord, that we are partners in the Lord, and that we are lovers of the Lord. Think about this. If Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is a servant how much more are the people in Philippi servants? We only need to remember that Jesus Christ himself said, I came to serve, not to be served. This is our king, our servant king. And Paul says, I am also a servant of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word servant is a bit stronger than it sounds. Slave might be a better translation. And everyone knew that slaves had no rights or privileges, and all their personal interests and ambitions must be repressed. Everything for the servant, for the slave, related to the master. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying all that I do relates to the master, Jesus Christ. And he encourages them to be partners in the Lord, or to make up a word, Fellowshippers of the Lord with God and His family. That we are creatures that are longing to be in relationship with other humans, with other people, but also with the God, the creator of the universe. He has made us this way. And God longs to be in fellow God longs for us to be in fellowship with Him and with the church. Right, this is why He sent His Son to reconcile us to Himself. That God is a missionary God. He hasn't created this world and watched it unravel and unfold and become broken and then separated Himself from us but sent His Son to break into this world to pursue a people for Himself. Sin has broken our fellowship with God and Jesus Christ makes it possible for that fellowship to be restored. This is what God desires. That we are partners, we are fellowshipers, we are communers in the Gospel. We are partakers of grace. And then up until this point, he calls the church to be lovers of the Lord. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi, he says this, he says, and it is my prayer that your love, notice that love comes first. And listen to what follows, because only after love can the rest follow rightly. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul then transitions from his greeting to his purpose. Why am I a servant of the Lord? Why are we partners in the gospel? What happens when we know the love of God? In our confession of sin, we use the word reorient. This is Paul's desire for himself, for this local church that he planted, for us that our lives may be reoriented to the love of God. If you're familiar at all with how, um, like we, do, we all use GPS for the most part nowadays, um, but there's actually something called a compass. Um, and if you ever like did Boy Scouts or I love maps, um, like topographical maps and using a compass, you have to know how to adjust the compass for wherever you are so that it finds true north versus magnetic north. This is the idea of reorienting your compass. And through the love of Christ, we reorient our lives like a compass to live rightly, to live with purpose, to live to glorify God and to be about His business, about His mission. We read in Philippians 1, Paul is laying out the purpose for this church to advance the gospel It's the beautiful thing because what's happening now, 2,000 years later, is the same thing. Faith Presbyterian Church, you are here this week to remind yourselves to reorient yourself to this purpose, to glorify God and to be about his mission, to reorient our lives, to bring the gospel to the nations, to Wilmington, to your neighborhood, to your work. While this context might be considered pre-Christian, our context, especially here in the Northeast and more so in New England as it kind of trickles down and just continues going down south is uh, post-Christendom where we have these huge, large buildings, not unlike Europe, that are now empty. Have gone from monuments of faithful believers worshiping a faithful god to museums of a day that has passed by and it's become going to become more difficult and this might and probably will be a good thing for the gospel tertullian one of the first ancient fathers to use the term trinity Is often credited with saying that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This seems paradoxical to us, especially in the the comforts of America. But throughout church history, this is seen as true that the church grows most rapidly whenever the state attempts to stamp it out. Because where is the church growing the most? It's not in the United States. It's in third world countries, it's in countries with communism, with dictators who are opposed to the message of the gospel of grace. Paul knows this and his imprisonment to advance the gospel is his primary purpose, and his suffering, In his persecution, Paul's using and redeeming the time for the gospel. Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard 24-7 every day, every hour, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom. There's a Roman guard right there. Paul doesn't see this. I'm sure as a human being, there were times for him of despair and of questioning and of doubt. But overall, Paul has reoriented his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he sees this imprisonment, these chains, not as a burden, but as freedom to preach the gospel to a different Roman guard every few hours. How many of us? I know I... I would be in despair and I'd be so sad and upset that I was in chains and in prison. I don't know if I would get out of that despair to see that this wasn't a burden. This wasn't imprisonment. This was freedom to proclaim the gospel to my captors. That's what Paul's doing. He doesn't see that he's in prison. He sees that the imperial guards are imprisoned. That they are slaves to their sin, they 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 are that they are his captives, his captive audience. They're sitting down to eat. I was like, I got this guy for four hours. He's going to be a Christian by the time he's out of here. I I inherited my father's humor. Um, and I groaned at it when I was a teenager, and now I've embraced it as the highest form of humor and puns, right? Puns are the highest, most intelligent form of humor. Um, right, dads? That's dad, that's dad humor right there. And I can't, whenever I, I, I think about just these instances in Scripture, I can't help but think, like, how cheesy it could be to kind of transition. I mean, American evangelicalism is really good at doing things in a cheesy way. Um, whether it's like making a t-shirt that is like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, but it like says Jesus instead of Reese's. I apologize if you have that shirt. Um, but just, it's, you know, it's a little cheesy, okay? Um, but if you wear it with all pride. I mean, I have some Christian t-shirts that five years from now, I'm going to be like, I can't believe I wore that. Um, But, you know, Paul's sitting there, they're eating dinner, he's in chains, and, you know, this hymn didn't exist, but I could just imagine now, it'd be like, you're singing like, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and you're singing this song, and this guard is just like, what, you are not free, your chains aren't gone, they're there, and you quickly transition to, no, you're in chains, you're slave to your sin, you don't even know that you are a slave. And Jesus Christ has come to set you free. Unending love, amazing grace. This is us. Paul is redeeming his time. We, as the people of God, if that is you this morning, we're called to advance the gospel. We're called to redeem the time that we have. That we are a missionary people after a missionary God. That we didn't be reconciled to God in order to hold that in as a secret message to to whisper back to God when we get to heaven. That we are ambassadors. That we are the people called to bring this message to the world. And so in this missions week, we have a bulletin board in the back filled with missionaries all over the world which is an amazing blessing for your church to be part of that, supporting so many missionaries, hearing so many stories of the gospel going forth. But we have our own stories as well. That mission's work is to support missionaries away from where we live. I mean, how, that's how Paul was able to go around and be a missionary. To plant churches, to plant in the Ukraine or Connecticut or Oregon, to do mercy ministry that isn't devoid of the gospel, healing the physical ailments, but forgetting the spiritual soul as well needs to be healed. For us we need to be a missionary people going about the work of God in our everyday rhythms, our everyday life. Now this can become a burden of I must do more, try harder, do better or it can be free because the gospel allows us to be free knowing that we are messengers. We cannot change anybody's heart. That's the work of God. But they are, we are messengers. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen in your home, at your work, wherever you might do leisure. So my wife and I, um, I'm trying to lose some weight. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the gym. So I went to um, Planet Fatness. um, And I, I went there and I couldn't get a parking spot. So I just left. So I paid for membership for like three months. I went twice. There was no parking spot, so I left. Um, really, per, really persevered, and uh, and I was like, well, "I'm going to give." I tried. I tried. Anybody familiar with CrossFit? It's a cult. Um, if you don't know, it really is. Um, so I'm I'm trying to infiltrate for the gospel's sake. So, um, so there's a G- CrossFit gym right in Suffield where we're planting our church and. Um, I tried it before we moved, and um, I was like, I'm going to go and, and give it a shot. And I, I, I loved it. You know, people are cheering you on. You're dying, but you're like, I got to finish this workout. Um, and it really is a community. We were, we were talking last night around dinner just how um, for a lot of people, it's replaced church. For, so for a lot of younger people... Um, they've, they weren't raised in the church. They might have gone at Christmas and Easter. Uh, they, see, they see no value in being part of the church because what they can receive in community, which is all that they desire at this point, and health, physical health, they can receive through their local CrossFit gym. So I started going. My wife started. Um, I, I said, yeah, you got to come and check it out, and she fell in love with it too. Um, this is her. We have four kids, and we homeschool, and this is her like freedom time. Away from the children, her t- her alone time, right? You need that for some sanity's sake, and so she goes. She works out, and it's, she literally said, "This has become my hobby. I really enjoy it." And um, to kind of see the where how how God is working is that I was I went into the gym for my physical health, and I saw the community that was there, and I said, "How how could I be a missionary here? In what way?" And so we began to pray about it, and I started thinking about. Starting a Bible study there, but I didn't want to just come in, be there three months, and kind of push my agenda. And so I just waited and I waited. And the owner of our gym, who works full time for the Army National Guard, he's a major. Uh, he came in and he saw me studying for my or- PCA ordination exams, which are which are difficult. I went from becoming I went from being a Southern Baptist to my ordination was like a two hour meeting in a little room, and then I was ordained, kind of. And then to the, the PCA who treated me like a Gentile, I had to come in and go through, I, like I was never ordained, never a pastor before. And I had to come in and study. And I studied all the time. I had note cards. I had so many note cards when I was done and I passed. My kids chanted no more note cards. Um, and we had like this ceremony of getting rid of all the note cards. And uh, he saw me studying all the time. And he's like, oh, you're, you're, you're a pastor. And uh, or a lot of times in our Catholic new england you're a priest is what i get and um and then i say sort of not really and then i tell him about reformation and the gospel it's always a good transition and and so he said yeah and he goes have you ever thought about starting something here at the gym this is a non-christian man who owns the gym not a believer asking me if i want if i i didn't go to him asking me if i wanted to start something at the gym so it's was like, God is opening up this door to redeem even my workout time, to build relationships with people so that we could share the gospel with them. And so we ended up starting a ministry called, uh, through a ministry that's like Athletes in Action, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but it's called Faith Rx. Rx is, is prescribed, it's part of CrossFit cult lingo. And we have a, a one, once a month, it's a workout and then um, a Bible study afterwards. And so far at our gym, about a third to a half of the people that have shown up aren't Christians at all. Because they have a deep longing for something more than just physical health. That God has made them in a way that they're pursuing the truth in some way that they know they don't have it. That God is redeeming our time. It's funny, I was, I was looking for it, but I wasn't really pushing it, and God put it in my way. Made it happen in His sovereignty. So for us, we're looking to redeem our time. Our family time, our work time, our neighbor time. How we might share the Gospel. I think we do identify with this idea of suffering for a great mission. Um, those are seemingly some of the most popular stories of our culture. Um, my son is six, almost seven, and he is <laughs> overly in love with Star Wars. And, right, Star Wars is a great story of, um, in the sense, over, I mean, obviously it's not Christian, but like, over, there's overcoming the empire, this evil empire. We have uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm reading The Hobbit to my kids, and we just got to the part where Gollum is going crazy because his <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, and uh, sorry, I won't go into it too much if you're, if you're waiting. Um, and, I, and we're talking to my kids, and I'm like, Gollum, that's, it's us. We are Gollum. Right? Frodo realizes this. Um, he can't get rid of, the, oh, spoiler alert. Okay. Lord of the, in Lord of the Rings, right, Frodo realizes this. I really don't want to, because I don't want you guys to be, I want you just to be surprised if you haven't read it yet. Um, That we are all Gollum. We all have that sin inside of us to pursue. And so I'm talking to my kids, like, how are you part of this story? How do you see yourself being consumed by things, right? Possessions over people. So For my son, it's usually his Lego creations. He creates something amazing, and his three-year-old brother destroys it. And it just ruins his whole day in life. Like go- Gollum in the Ring. We're fighting for this purpose, this greater cause. One of my favorite stories, and I probably watched the miniseries once a year, is Band of Brothers. There's an episode called Why We Fight. And um, the 101st, uh, Easy, Easy Company of the 101st Airborne, it's a true story about uh, their training all the way to Hitler's Eagle's Nest and the end of World War II. And they come across uh, um, a, a Jewish prison. Um, just one of the smaller ones. And the horrors that they see, they couldn't believe it. And they had absolutely, they really didn't have any idea about what was going on, how truly horror, horrific it was. Why we fight. Paul knows that. He's surrounded by people who are dying, that are the walking dead. And he's willing to suffer in this life so that they might be set free, that they might be alive in Christ. The early reformers suffered for the gospel. John Huss died at the stake for his belief. His last words, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. We see Christian martyrs being killed by ISIS throughout the world. That we are encouraged to let Paul, let church history, these bold brothers and sisters today give us boldness to advance the gospel. Because we're not seeing yet the suffering other Christians are in the rest of the world. And we're seeing it maybe a little bit with being passed over for a promotion at work. Or maybe a relationship in your community is, is broken because of your belief about the Scriptures and what it teaches about Christ, about his exclusivity, about ethics, about how we should live in the world, about marriage, about relationships. If not yet soon. As our as our country becomes less and less Christian, right? We'll see more and more persecution for our beliefs. And Paul goes on as he explains his advancement of the gospel that he says that we should rejoice at every advance of the gospel. What? I can get going, so I'm just checking. Okay. It says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, what then? Only that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. But there are people that are proclaiming the true gospel out of selfish ambition, to build up their own resume, to build up their own ministry. And Paul says, it's, uh, rejoice, because the true gospel is being proclaimed. You know, if, if these people were proclaiming a, a message other than the gospel, Paul would have definitely stepped in and condemned them As we have said before, so I now say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He repeats it for emphasis. This is good news. Because we don't always have to be right in our own hearts. Because we easily deceive ourselves and our own motives about why we do things. I've seen the gospel proclaimed out of selfish ambition from the pulpit and from the living room. I've seen emotional manipulation that literally forced people to pray the sinner's prayer and gave them a false belief that they were truly saved. Because they did it, because they didn't, not because they wanted to be reconciled with the one true God of the Bible, but because they wanted to be in right relationship with the person pressuring them. I have heard whole sermons preached verbatim taken from famous and successful pastors in their old sermons, preached without sincerity. I've personally been jealous of success of other churches, other church plants that have preached the gospel, yet their worship and their life and the way that their church runs is so contrary to the Word of God. And yet Paul says, I should rejoice that we should rejoice that people are responding to the gospel being proclaimed. I once saw um, an internet meme, like a picture that has little words on it. And um, it was uh, like a Christian holding up a John 3.16, kind of repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved um, type of message. And then there was this, this atheist woman like making a face and holding up another sign like this is stupid. And the meme was, when you're an atheist but still preach the gospel to millions of people. Because the the picture got around the internet millions of times, and the gospel being proclaimed, repent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Out of false motives, and yet the gospel was being put around the internet by this atheist. We today remain tempted to preach uh, the gospel for wrong reasons. This is, a, this is a difficult thing in church planting. When you see like a church start up and they have like the lights and the fog machines and they have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of like Facebook ads and media and they just pop up in a city and the first Sunday they have like 300 people. You know, and I'm like working hard to get a core group of 20 at my house. There are, even in an established church, right? this American idea of bigger is better tugs and pulls at our hearts. And and yet the Word of God says, be faithful to Me. The fruit is in My hands. I change hearts. I make dead men live. And sometimes... Ministers of the gospel, we are tempted simply to do what we do just for the approval of others. Even others in our own churches. These empires, these churches, these buildings will crumble, but the gospel message remains. In the Northeast, it's very tempting. We don't see much fruit, right? We see, as was described, uh, in especially in Connecticut, my town, Jonathan Edwards, Edwards preached in the Congregational Church in the center of Suffield multiple times. Right? The first great awakening happened in the Connecticut River Valley up through, in Connecticut through Massachusetts. And Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon um, a communion Sunday night sermon. right? The Lord's Supper is for those believers. He preached a communion service on Sunday night and 95 people repented and believed at a service that was supposed to be for, for Christians. Uh, one farmer in his journal uh, recounts walking to the center of town. He was about half a mile away and he could hear people weeping over their sins. A week later, and that same trip that's when Jonathan Edwards crossed the Connecticut River and went to Enfield, which is right across the river from Suffield where we are planting, and preached Sinners in the hands of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, his most famous sermon, the sermon that many think kicked off the first great awakening. And yet now that church that he once preached at no longer preaches the gospel. In Suffield, we have two Catholic churches, two UCC churches, two liberal Baptist churches, and a dying Lutheran church, Missouri, um, which on paper anyway preaches the gospel, but they have no interaction with the community of Suffield whatsoever. That's the state of Connecticut. That's the state of many towns in New England is a town without any church proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. There's lots of busyness happening. There's false gospel. There's social gospel. There's save yourself through serving others gospel. But there's no repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Message being proclaimed in Suffields. So for us as believers, whether in comfort or in suffering, Paul is encouraging us because of the Lord Jesus Christ to advance the Gospel. This Sunday kicks off your missions conference week. A week dedicated to thinking about, praying about, supporting financially, getting to know missionaries, getting to know yourselves in your own work of the Gospel in your own lives. This week is about focusing on Paul's message of advancing the Gospel. Even in suffering. So Paul says, advance. Advance. Someone, this uh, this week I saw on Twitter, someone said, March 4th, is the only date with a command. Now, March 1st, that could be a command too, I guess. Right? But Paul's saying March 4th. Advance the gospel for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. That is our mission. That is our purpose. It's only made possible through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. Your unmerited favor to to us. Only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. A death that we should have died. He died so that we may live. God, we pray that we would see through the advancement of the Gospel, the fruit of this, that we would see dead men, dead women, rise up, that their hearts of stone would be made into hearts of flesh, that they would be filled with the Spirit, that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.